Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Whoa, birds and bees? I had no idea. Gee, money. Ha, ha, ha. Well, welcome, folks, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your yard, your landscape being so wet and everything else, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On Saturday morning, we get together and we have this round table discussion, and we talk about what's impacting your backyard, what's going on in your side landscapes, and, oh, you're welcome home, that front yard. Specialty garden spaces. A taste of the tropics, meaning houseplants. And should you use potting mix or potting soil? How to improve your soil? Should you be shearing your boxwood this time of year when the sun, if it ever comes out, can be pretty intense and do some sunburning? And what you do is you use the information that we all share and decide which decision you're going to head or which direction you're going to go. My thoughts and orchestrations hopefully will help you solidify that option. Final judgment, of course, is going to be on your shoulders. This is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you inviting me over into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player in the game is Greg Harvey. He's producing again today. And by the way, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994 and have written five gardening books who are currently available at various locations. And during the week and weekends, today I'm headed towards Festus. I do landscape consulting, which I call walk and talks. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and uh, homepage, that's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. When I left house in uh, South City, uh, no drizzle, no nothing. But by the time I got here uh, downtown, uh, it was starting to drizzle. I thought, oh, no big deal. And so I just, uh, you know, started wandering around. And uh, all of a sudden, it started drizzling more and more and more. And those gray skies, uh, but there was still vibrant energy with colors, enlightening the morning. There was large pots of cannas and elephant ears, which the city uses and provides, and begonias in there, too, at many of the intersections. Park employees were making the final pickup of debris. Pink balloon arch was swaying in the breeze. The main stage backs up to Tucker. It's on market. The Lou Crew van leaves a garage as I'm standing there. And I see them drive, and they go about a block, and where they become part of the activities. A lot of umbrellas were starting to come out, protecting from the steady rains. Pink T-shirts. Yes, they were starting to show up more and more and more. They were becoming obvious. Vendors were rearranging under the canopy. Huge pink 
and Blue Bus from Missouri Baptist Medical Center sat. Squirrels were scurrying all over the place. What's going on? Well, it is Susan B. Coleman's Race for the Cure or Walk for the Cure. It's a two-mile walk that goes from here downtown to Jefferson and then turns around and comes back down this direction again. And uh, I heard a test of the speaker system. It's a go. Vehicle traffic starts increasing. Attendees try to figure out where to park. The energy enthusiasm is not curtailed at all by the rain as it gets steadier and steadier and steadier. And it's just great. And they just think, you know, rain is not going to dampen my enthusiasm about all the people who have survived, survived cancer, breast cancer, and other things as well. And uh, you can't rain on my parade or walk. Today it is a walk. So don't dampen, don't let it dampen your spirits. And luckily, it looks like it's stopped for a while. And thankfulness for that because, I mean, people are going to walk anyway. But still, it's a little bit more fun to walk when you don't have to carry an umbrella. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX is your exclusive home for every Stanley Cup final game. If the Blues and Cards play at the same time, Cardinal fans, you can hear the games on Y98 FM. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Go Blues! Man, oh man. Impressive. That's all I can say. Anyway, is it Nancy? Let's go and see what's happening in Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. Um, Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I just wanted to let you know that um, somebody had asked last week about taking where to get a soil test, and you mentioned, uh, uh, was it Mizzou? Um, yeah, I think. I went to a, um, they have a branch in Kirkwood. Right. Not too far from the plaza, so I took it there. It's not like you have to go all the way to Columbia. No, I thought I said. Columbia. Yeah, but. I thought I said they have one in, in St. Charles and actually one in Kirkwood, too. Okay, so I have a question. I have some uh, bearded irises that I was given um, some bulbs I put in, and then nothing happened last year, and this year they bloomed. I'm not a big fan of irises, so if I wanted to, like, give those to somebody else, do I wait till the fall to dig those up? Uh, Yeah, that's probably the best thing to do. So, in other words, the foliage, now that they've finished flowering, is going to build up the tuber to make it stronger and better to, you know, be productive in the future. So. I would probably yeah. do that. As opposed, you don't have to wait till the fall, fall, but just wait until, let's say, the foliage starts losing a little bit of the greenness. That means it's okay. slowing down, and then you can dig them up and cut the foliage off to about four to five inches, and then just you know give them the tuber plus that little stub of foliage. Okay. The other question is, I have a clematis. I don't know the the type, but. Um, can those be relocated, or is it be too traumatic and just leave them where they're at? Um, they can be, but it's a lot of work. They have a pretty—I don't know how old yours is, but they can have a pretty extensive root system. And um, they, you know, if you do move it, just make sure that the soil is alkaline. So, in other words, you mix some lime in the soil. So okay. it's clematis and lilacs and only a few other things that really want an alkaline type soil. And okay. um, they would prefer to have something growing over or near their root system or the bottom of the plant because the bottom of the plant, you know, can use the shade from the plant material. But also aesthetically, the bottom of clematis are not very attractive because they're basically just naked sticks. Okay. 
Okay. Um, another question is, I have mats, and I don't. It's like you can't even sit out on your deck. Is there anything that I can like spray like soapy water on my grass or anything like that? Or <laughs> I don't want to. I mean, that's nature, so I don't want to like do that. But right. how do I keep? I don't know if everybody else is having these problems. Like, did I plant something that's drawing these bugs? I'm like, we can't even sit out here. <laughs> well, I think the gnats are really prolific this year, and I think it's due to the water factor. I mean, I'm finding mm-hmm. myself in my yard way more gnats than mosquitoes or flies or anything else. So I think it's just, mm-hmm. you know, the moisture factor. So there's probably okay. not too much you can really do that's going to be effective. What you might do is get like a, a fly, you know, fly tape or, you know, stick fly mm-hmm. sticker and just, you know, hang one of those around and see how many gnats you you know, collect on that right. thing. Right, or have an oscillating fan or something. I'll right, exactly, <laughs> moving the air. Okay, so two more questions. We removed a crab apple tree that was pretty old out of our front yard, and so we're wanting to go, you know, away from it and plant another tree, and I kind of am partial to the flowering trees. I don't know what to plant, um, so I wasn't sure if you had any suggestions. And someone mentioned a dogwood, but do they like shade because this would be a lot of sun uh they can handle sun they can handle shade if i was going to pick a dogwood i would probably choose a japanese dogwood so in other words cornus kusa k-o-u-s-a they bloom a couple weeks later than our native dogwood you know hybrids and uh, the petals pretty much the same size except they're pointed rather than round and another option would be if you want something that blooms earlier than the dogwoods look at the service berry the amelanchier okay um, one last question. I do have a Japanese maple. It's an emperor one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Japanese maple that's planted in our front landscaping, like in the bed that's at the corner of the house. I measured the bed. The bed is like 10 foot round in circumference across or whatever. It's planted in there. And it says, um, cause I kept the tag that came with the tree and it says it can get up to 15 feet tall and wide. Right. That tree is about 10 now. So the, the branches are like brushing the house, Ooh. and I'm just like, well, I'm, is that is that an option to move out into the yard, or is that more? No, that would be crazy. To the tree, yeah, yeah. That, okay. The root ball in that thing will weigh a ton. Okay. So the other thing is when I'm there, it looks great. I got great, pretty foliage and all that. But I was up, up looking up in there, and I'm like, well, there's some like branches that don't have anything on it, or little like they're very twiggy. They're, sure. they're smaller than your little pinky, and I'm like. Can those be trimmed off, or do I leave them? No, any kind of dead wood that doesn't have any foliage on it, on any kind of tree, any kind of shrub, any kind of woody plant, can always be removed. Okay. So if it's if it's just kind of, I mean, I don't hear it in the house, brushing against the house. Do I just leave those branches, or do you cut the ends of branches off? Because that's like topping a tree, and I don't really like yeah, to do that. Yeah, so. you don't want to stub back branches because that can cause problems. So if you decide you want to take some branches off that potentially could get longer and could be brushing against the siding, whether, regardless of what type it is, just mm-hmm. if it's a longer branch, just cut it off in sections, making sure the last cut only leaves a stub of about a quarter to a half inch at the most. Okay. All right. I appreciate all your help. Thank you so much. Have a good weekend. Certainly. My pleasure. All right, Mike. Let's head to Centralia, Illinois, and talk to Bill. Hi, Bill. Hi, Mike. How are you today? Very good. <clears throat> I have I have been given a Red Haven peach that's tree that is about, well, it's good-sized, and it's in a pot. Can I transplant it, or is it too late? 
I would probably leave it in the pod because we don't know what the weather's going to be like. And then just go ahead and sometime in, let's say, late August, early September, plant it at that time. Because leaving it in the pot, you're able to control a lot more things than when it goes into the ground. So you can put it out in the sun. What probably I'd recommend doing is if you have any kind of bed space available, just dig a hole in the bed space and just drop the pot down into the hole. And uh, like I say, that will, if we, which it doesn't seem likely, a drought spell or something like that, then you can water it. The pot will keep uh, the root system, you know, let's say hydrated. And then in the fall, when the ground is plenty warm, you, that will activate root growth. I'd probably, you know, put it out at that time. Okay. Second of all, I went to the beautiful botanical gardens and uh, I asked them about my rhubarb, which was really good, and then all of a sudden about 10% or 20% of the leaves are turning weird, and they said it might be wetness, and then somebody, and then one other expert said that they're afraid that the rhubarb is, uh, we're getting too far south where we are in, in Centralia, so I wonder if you had any ideas whether it was a wetness or just Hopefully it's going to make it. Yeah, I would think it's probably okay. I think it's just the, even in a well-drained circumstance, when we're having these kind of rains and this much moisture, moisture can build up and it could you know cause some real problems with all kinds of different plants, rhubarb being one of them. So I think last, it's more that than you know, our location. Excuse me, but my last question is, I have a Nimrod grape and a Concord. The Concord's really taken off, and Nimrod is... Is a lot slower. Is that is that natural for a Nimrod? I've never had a Nimrod grape before. Yeah, I've never grown one myself. So my guess is, as long as it's putting out foliage and everything else, it may just be one of those that's established a little bit slower. Because a Concord is one of the ones that are definitely going to do, let's say, better acclimated to our you know our region. Thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. All right, let's head to Belleville, Illinois, and into Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Hi, good morning, Mike. We really enjoy your show. Uh, we have a neighbor said this tree is going to be invasive. It's called a C-A-T-A-P-I-A, and it, he thought it could take out the foundation and the sewer because it's only eight foot from the house. Um, what's your recommend? Just to cut it down? So what was the name of this tree? We think it's Catapia. Oh, Catalpia. Catalpa? Right. We think it's C-A-T-A-P-I-A. Yeah, it's probably a catalpa tree. That's, yeah, get that away from your house. It gets huge. A common name for that is Lady Cigar Tree. It has white flowers on it, which the flowers have just dropped off recently. I don't know if the right. one that you have, but they get right. really, really big, and I would not want that thing close to my house. Let's put it that way. That's what my neighbor came over yesterday and said, and it scared me because it's only eight foot from my house. Right. And um, he said it could take out your foundation. So um, if we get it cut off, uh, you didn't you say the roots keep growing after you get cut it? Yeah, for several years because the roots you know, keep absorbing nutrients and moisture. But uh, even if the stump is ground out... But as time goes on, because they're not getting any food from the foliage because the top of the tree has been removed, they will slowly but surely implode. 
So I guess the first thing is just get it cut down and then yeah. the stump ground out. Right, and uh, you can grind the stump out or else you can get some – there's some stump rot type things where you can just drill holes down into the stump and pour the stump rot down into the holes that you've drilled. All righty. Thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Love your show. Well, thanks okay. for having me on your show. All right, and let's talk to Jason. He's in Clayton. Hi, Jason. Mike, good morning. How are you? Very good. I have some containers that I use over and over again year after year with potting soil. And when I get started with my plants, it seems like there's nothing growing in there. I take a hand tine and just work that soil so I can put in whatever, tomato, strawberry, what have you. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting little round leaves just of nuisance greenery. How can I treat that soil so it's still going to work out for the plants that I want to grow without having all of these little tiny weeds that I have to service? Yeah, it's, I know exactly what you're talking about because I have the same circumstance every year. I mean, you can go out there and just, you know, basically just pull them up because they're really easy or just stir the soil up. And that's enough to sort of bring them up out of the, you know, the potting mix or potting soil and that will kill them. But in the future, what you can do is use a product called Preen, and that's a pre-emergent. So before, you know, after you get your plants planted, but before the, let's say, the new seedlings that you're having start sprouting, then you, the Preen will kill them. So you could do it that way. Fantastic. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. Thanks Mike for your Plain. show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. We're going to win. They score! We're going to win. Wyatt O'Reilly. They score! The hardest win in franchise history. Amazing. We're ready for the cup. Losing six, baby. The Blues, the Bruins, the Stanley Cup final. Game six tomorrow. Club Fitness expanded pregame show at five. The puck drops at seven. On your voice of the St. Louis Blues, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Lend a hand to help local homeless pets. Head to Perina Farms Event Center in Gray Summit on June 9th from 11 to 3 for Pet Project Day. Complete a variety of service projects with your family. Visit kmox.com slash events for more details. And uh, if questions or concerns or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Tracy and I live very near, we're right at the corner of Christie Park, the northeast corner with all the storms come out at, at us. So we're not that far from River de Pere. I mean, we're not being impacted by River de Pere, at least not yet, not right now. But I'll tell you what's happening. The other day I was out. I always take my walk before, you know, kind of pretty early. And all of a sudden I saw – I was just kind of walking and looking at the trees and everything else. And I saw something in the distance. I thought, I can't figure out what that was. Now, this is right at the corner of Gravoy and Christie Boulevard, which is kind of a major intersection – uh, a deer just goes shooting by. I mean, I mean, just kept going. And 
it was a female, but it, it was fast. And then yesterday, Tracy and I were we'd been out shopping, and we kind of wanted to go back and take a look at some of the areas that have been impacted by the uh, the high waters. And right as we pulled up to kind of slow down, where the road was closed, you know, the signs and everything, uh, there go another couple couple deer. Then we saw another couple egrets. So I'll tell you, this flooding is really having an impact on the wildlife. It, it's it's really kind of incredible and amazing. And I'll tell you, another thing too: the University of Missouri, the Integrated Pest Management part of the Agriculture Department, they put out this uh, Missouri Environment Garden newsletter. And here's one of the things: it's related to flooding or overwatering. Flooding or overwatering gas exchange between the soil and the air is greatly reduced. Microorganisms consume much of the oxygen in the water and soil. The lack of soil oxygen induces several changes in plants and soil that adversely affect the vegetation and fruit growth, too. A gentleman sent me some uh, winterberry pictures, and I thought, you know, his winterberry fruits are not setting right. And I thought it's got to be related to either dehydration or overhydration. And this indicates, you know, it's probably overhydration. Too much moisture can actually have an adverse impact on fruit set and those type things. So, I mean, it is just absolutely a wild world. There's no getting around it. All right. Let's head to South City and talk to Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. I just have a question about Epsom salt. Somebody told me about Epsom salt, so I Googled it. And if you Google it, it tells you to throw it all over your lawn, all over your flowers, <laughs> all over your plants, and everything will get luscious, and it shows pictures. And, well, I somebody said, well, you don't throw salt on. Well, I, I thought I'm going to try it, and I did. And I don't know if it's because of all the rain that we got or... Or if it's a little bit of both, but my gosh, my Annabella hydrangeas are four feet tall right now, and they're blooming, and my front lawn looks great. Do you think that's a myth? Well, I shouldn't have even done that. Well, no, you could do it. There's no getting, but just be careful about, you know, just because you've had, let's say, Attic success, and it may be related to Epsom salts. It may be just related to the weather. It may be related to all kinds of other things. But nothing is going to be a panacea. It's just absolutely impossible. So uh, I'm glad you had great luck with you know what's happened, and it may be related to the Epsom salts, but uh, it may not be related to it. So I wouldn't. You know, I called I called the botanical garden to ask them before I did it, and they said, "Well, we don't recommend it because we." don't really know we don't know anything about it so but i also have one other question does the botanical garden um recommend a certain tree trimming do they use a certain tree trimming service or i'm just looking for somebody that really knows what they're doing we have a I guess it's called a linden tree, maybe. Mm-hmm. They're all along Hampton. Right. Um, the little, they're lacy trees. Yeah, they've just well, finished we, flowering, so there's a lot of, let's say, yellowish dust on the ground underneath yeah. them. Yeah. Well, we've got one in our backyard in the wrong place. Um, there's wires. Ooh. We don't want to lose it, but we want to know 
who knows how to trim it right. Well, there's an arborist association, so any you know any company that belongs to the arborist association should be able to mm-hmm. handle your 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 circumstance. And uh, okay. I would say I don't you know when I worked at the botanical garden, there was one company that was doing the major part of the tree servicing, but I don't know if that's still the case or the circumstance because they knew that the staff at that time was not going to we didn't have the equipment or anything else to get up high in the trees to do some of the things that was needed to be done. So I don't know if they would recommend or say who they actually use for a tree service, or they may be doing it in staff now. Mm-hmm. I think everybody, maybe in South St. Louis, got a letter this week in the mail from Ameren saying we're going to be in your area right. in several months about trimming trees, and we know how they trim trees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, get it away from those lines. But, I mean, mm-hmm. in some ways, I just wish people would, you know, have the foresight to look up before you plant a tree and then mm-hmm. realize what could happen. Here's a quick story. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up in Ellisville, you know, parent, we had a pretty big yard, and I found a maple seedling and uh, because mm-hmm. we were in Maple Lane. and had 13 maple trees in our yard. So I planted one of the seedlings in the far backyard, but unfortunately it was underneath the power line. So it made mm-hmm. for, you know, some problems. I cause other problems, mm-hmm. too, with planting bamboo, but that was, you know, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Mike. Sure. All right. And Frank is on the road. He's in Ironton. Hi, Frank. Hello, Frank. Are you there? Hmm. Well, guess try, not. Try again, Frank. <laughs> nope. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Here's another thing, too, related to that. Uh, what I was reading from the University of Missouri. Uh, the first plant symptoms usually observed in a short period of time after flooding or overwatering, and that's the leaves are wilted. And a lot of people are a little bit concerned because in the heat of the day when it's not raining or anything else, they notice their plants are wilting. Well, in the heat of the day, plants will wilt. And what that does is close, if, let's say, reduces the amount of uh, breathing, you know, the, the plant's going to do. So that keeps it from having some major damage. So the best thing to do is if you have a plant that you notice is wilting, check it in the morning. Because if it's up and rigid in the morning, that means it was just, let's say, wilting its leaves down as a protective you know, circumstance or situation. And if they're back up rigid in the morning after night, then the plant should, doesn't need any additional watering. So just be careful. All right. Let's go to South County and talk to Sean. Okay. Hi, Sean. Hey, how are you doing this morning? Very good. Hey, good. Hey, I got a Japanese maple that just seems like some of the branches are dying off and it just the leaves just did not bloom quite well this season, and I don't know is there a certain fertilizer I should be putting on this thing, or you know trim it back, or you know they generally don't get real tall, you know. Yeah, fifteen or eighteen or twenty feet is going to be maximum. Right, right, right. Basically, what um, I would say: How old is a tree? It's. I mean, it's been there since I moved in. I mean, it's got to be probably. Uh, Oh, gosh, probably 25 years old. Yeah, maybe an age factor as much as anything. I'm yeah, not saying okay. that, you know, they're all going to die at that age, but 
that would be you know more my concern than anything I else. I see. I didn't realize there was a lifespan of that. Okay. Right. Okay. And so what you can do, though, fertilizing is not going to really help, but what you can do is get a, a compost and then get an electric drill and get something called an earth auger, which is a drill bit for drilling holes and just start drilling some holes out around from between, let's say, halfway out from the trunk to the extension of the branches and just drill right. randomly the holes and then backfill the holes with compost. Make the holes about six inches or so deep. I got you, like a post hole digger. Yeah, I got exactly. you. Exactly. Okay. And what you're okay. doing then is you're feeding the soil. That's going to be better you know, for the overall health gotcha. of the tree than fertilizing. And then, and then where it's sitting is I got, you know, it's kind of in the, um, you know, up against the house and I got the uh, landscaping around it. So it's, there's like a, maybe a two and a half, three foot wall that kind of goes around it. And I didn't know, you know, maybe the compost will help too. Maybe it's just not getting enough water or something. Yeah, it could be lots of different factors. But, you know, when yeah. you say 25 years old, my thinking is that could be as much as anything. And it could be the combination of all different factors going on at once, plus the screwy weather we're having this year. Yeah, 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 sir. Okay, good stuff. Well, great. All right, I appreciate the help. Certainly. Thank you. And if anybody else has questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Get ready for the Cards and Cubs tonight. Emron Total Access 520. First pitch 615. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, back to the floods and the waters and overwatering and everything else. Here's something else. This is, again, from the Missouri Environment and Garden Newsletter. Summer floods cause greater root damage than those in the spring. The reason why? Because the higher soil temperatures cause more injury to the plant root systems. So all these little things, this is, you know, you know University of Missouri doing this. So it's, uh, they're on top of it. There's no getting around it. And is it Linda? We're headed to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hello. Hi. How are you this morning? Very good. Good. Well, we have a, a Japanese cherry that is probably, I guess, full size now, and it was beautiful this year and more blossoms than ever. But the problem is, I think it is it is as tall as it's going to get, but it has gotten very lanky. Uh, and I think with all the blossoms and the rain, it touched the ground almost. And so Ooh. I was afraid some of those were going to, the branches would break off. So we need to have it pruned. When is the best time not to interfere with the blossoms for next spring? Basically, uh, is this a Kwanzaa cherry? Do you know specifically what type it is? Is it like the one I, in Washington, D.C., or is it a weeping cherry or what? No, it is not weeping. Okay. Um, the, all I remember from the label, and this is quite a few years ago, it was Japanese. And I look at the, you know, it, it does look more like a Kwanzaa cherry um, okay. when I look online. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as far as pruning goes... It's it probably flowered over like two months ago. So if you do any pruning now, you're just basically, I mean, the flower buds are already, even though they're not obvious physically, 
or visually, they're already being set inside the, let's say, the vascular system mm-hmm. of the tree. So if you prune this late, you may be pruning off the flowers for next year. So you could just mm-hmm. leave it alone. Don't worry about it or anything else. And just next year, within, uh, let's say, six or eight weeks of the pruning of the time it flowered, then do the pruning. Right afterwards. Then. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Yes, we did not want to disturb anything. Okay, we'll wait. Thank yeah, you. Certainly. And as for, and related to pruning, this is the time of year when beech trees, birch trees, and maple trees, they prefer to be pruned during the summertime. The other trees, they don't really like the summertime pruning circumstance. All right. Now let's visit Dave. He's in Highland, Illinois. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have a problem with uh, these patches of black ants in my yard. It's about a foot round. I had one or two a couple of years ago. Now I got six or seven. Wow. Is there, it's like they, they dig in the dirt. I've tried dumping uh, DE on them, and I think they like it. <laughs> it doesn't get any good. <laughs> Have you ran into that before? No, I don't know. I yeah, you know, that's kind of a new problem. You know, as far as so, are they large black ants or are they small? Well, they're they're probably about a quarter inch. Yeah, so they're pretty big size. Yeah. yeah. So, so there, I mean, there's got to be you know a reason why they're in your yards because they, I mean, uh, you know, it's you know, it's just what I can do is I can probably do a little bit of research and see what I can come up with. But uh, I would just go out and, as long as you don't mind, the areas where you see the ant hills, just go out there with a shovel and turn these things up. And, you know, I'm afraid that if you do that, all you're going to do is disturb and they're going to run away with all the eggs and stuff and just relocate into a different part of your yard. But there's something in your yard that's really being attractive to them. So I'm not well, sure. I, do you have a bunch of trees? There may be, sap, you know, sap yeah. coming out of the trunk. I, I don't know because oh. they're all under trees, and I live. Uh, I've got about uh, ten acres of timber right now. <laughs> okay, so now so, I see. Yeah, so it's, it's something with the trees. Yeah, I think it's related to the trees because almost every one of them is under a tree. Right. So they they climb the trees and they get sap because they're, let's say there's an injury, either a natural injury or some kind of injury with a crack in a trunk or cracking a branch or something along that line. So it's related to the trees for sure. So there's really, if they eat sap, there's no bait for them. No, there really isn't. Not that I'm familiar with. I mean, you could try some of the classic ant baits and just sprinkle it right near and see what happens right near the ant hill. But uh, I don't know if it's going to be effective or not, but it's worth a try for, you know, a few dollars to see if it'll get rid of the problem. Okay, I'll give that a try. And, uh, by the way, three years ago, you told me to move a grapevine from underneath a, a black walnut tree because it wasn't fruiting. Right. And this year, I have grapes. All right. So I appreciate that uh, information. All right. Well, glad I'm glad I could help and party on with those grapes. <laughs> I will. <Thanks. laughs> All right. Now let's head out to St. Charles, and we're going to see what's up with Patty. Hi, Patty. Hi, Mike. Hey, my question is, I put in a new front yard. Um, last fall, I killed it all with a weed killer because it was horrible. I had major weeds, just the grass was gone. So I killed it all, and I waited. And then we tilled it all up, 
real, made it real nice dirt, and then seeded it and strawed it. And it's coming in beautifully. It's real thick and beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I'm getting this weed, and it's like um, a single stem weed with about four uh, leaves on the top. And my question is, when should I start to... um, Actually, I fertilized it. We fertilized it, too, with whatever you're supposed to fertilize with a new lawn. Right, seed starter. Okay, yes. And so now I want to know when to start to put, like, the Scots or whatever brand in, um, to, to control the weeds and to feed also. Yeah, I would probably just, wor- you know, don't worry about, f- I'm assuming this is a cool season lawn because you did the seed. You don't want to fertilize cool season lawns this time of year. Because you could force some growth, and it can get hotter and hotter, and you could end up with a real disaster. So what I would do is just go, like, with a weed be gone or some broadleaf weed killer, go after the broadleaf weeds and get rid of those guys. Just And no fertilizing at all until we hit, let's say, 1st of September, and then feed in uh, September, October, November, and possibly December. Oh, you're talking about a weed and feed? No, I would say not not this time of year. No, but in... in September, uh, uh, October, November. Well, if no, I would probably just use a you know classic sort of fall feeding for cold season lawns. Oh, I, but no weed. Yeah, if you wanted to do a pre-emergent because you've got cool season annual weeds, then you'd put the pre-emergent down. Uh, let's say mid to late August. Then okay. you do the fertilizing after that. But the pre-emergents and fertilizer, I don't know if there's a combination of those. You know, those two things together. Oh, okay. And I have one more question. I have a small garden with zucchini, and they're beautiful, and they are starting to produce. Great. One plant got eaten with whatever kind of bug, and we sprayed it, and it's still growing. But I was wondering if I should get rid of that one plant because of the bug that was on it, even though it's growing, but it doesn't look good anymore. Yeah, I would say get rid of it. <laughs> get rid of it. Yep. Because there's one growth on it. There's one zucchini on it. Doesn't matter. I get rid of it. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for your help. I love your program. Well, thank you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trowel Hour, which I'll be giving shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. By the way, thanks for having me on your show, and we're here to discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs related to annuals. Uh, I still, my pansies, you know, I bought two flats of them and probably 80% of them still look pretty darn good. Now, as I always say, this is a time of year where they really elongate. The size of the flower is getting less, but I'm probably going to leave them for another week or so. And then I'm going to, you know, switch them out with something else. But uh, the spring flowering bulbs, you should have already cut the foliage off. That should have been well finished. But the cannas and the caladiums and the elephant ears and everything else, they should really start to be erupting. How about edibles? How are your herbs? 
Herbs is a great plant if you don't really want to do a whole lot of care because they don't want to be fertilized because if you over-fertilize herbs or if you really kind of fertilize them at all, other than having them in a good potting mix that's well-drained, uh, it kind of reduces the sort of the pizzazz of whatever kind of herb it is. And also they want to be on the dry side. Your ground covers, how are they doing? I was at a house in Baldwin last week and on Wednesday, and they had some euonymus ground cover, the winter creeper. And uh, I told them I said, they had to have some trees taken out and everything else, and it really made stuff look pretty nasty. And I said, well, just replant some of this. And I know a lot of people don't like the euonymus winter creeper, but this is going to help with the erosion control. But I also said the existing you know ground cover that's there now that has been there for a long time should be be cut down because it had really extended, let's say, stems of probably four or five feet that had no foliage on them at all because of just the age factor. So your ground covers, how about your house plants? How are they doing? Your lawn, many lawns are looking very good. Your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, or your water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions are not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered you to maybe think about and uh, help you make a good decision. Across the big board is Greg Harvey. He's producing, so when you call, he'll answer the phone. He'll ask your name and where you're calling from, and then we'll get you on the list. So, And I, during the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting, where I, I call it a walk and talk, where I come to your home. We can assess aesthetic problems. We can assess just problems on what's going on with this plant material. Why is this boxwood here doing this and the one right over there not doing this? And what's going on? And I just take a look and also kind of keep my eyes open for something that may be impacting your landscape that you're not even considering. And a lot of times people's homes, their landscape is being impacted by their neighbors, from the standpoint of, let's say, their house is a little, their elevation is a little bit lower. The neighbors, you know, downspouts are shooting water right at their house. I've seen that twice in, within the last week or so where it's just causing some major problems. So I'll share my 40 years plus experience and uh, we can take a look at plant material care and maintenance. The tip of the trowel is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Here's something kind of unusual, I think is kind of great in a way. You know, when you go up to Lambert and you're flying someplace, you always have to get there very early to get checked in and blah, 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 all the other stuff. Then what do you do? You can wander up and down the, the aisles or the walls or not the walls, but the walks and But right now, there is something really cool at St. Louis Lambert International Airport. It features the Missouri Botanical Garden display. It's called Plants and People. So it's collections of the Missouri Botanical Garden. And it's going to be from now through November 10th. And it's in the International Airport Gallery in the C concourse exit in the you know terminal number one. It's an exhibit from the Missouri Botanical Garden, and it displays uh, you know all kinds of different things. Features artifacts from around the world that tell the story of the interchange between plants and plants and people. The objects also tell the story of the Missouri Botanical Garden, which is one of the leading world's leading centers for botanical exploration, plant science, and conservation. So again, if you're Flying out of town, 
and you got to be there early, which we know you have to, check out the exhibit from the Missouri Botanical Garden at Lambert. So what could be better than that? If you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. So we'll be back after these messages. The pitch. KMOX is the exclusive Cardinal station. When the cards take a break, we're talking baseball on the Munganas St. Louis Honda Sports Open Line. Weeknights at 615 on the Voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Megan was talking, I guess it was the first hour, about how lush her garden's looking and how happy she is with everything. And many people are having that experience this year with even all the crazy rain and everything else. But some people are not. Tom, the fireman who lives catty corner across the street from us, uh, he's been gardening in his back. He does, you know, edible type stuff. And he has been doing it for years and years. His soil's very improved and everything else. He also does some farming, you know, in the down near the Boot Hill area. But this is his backyard garden. And he, I was talking to him the other day, and he said, I'm just getting very frustrated that a lot of the things that normally would be big and robust by now are just – they're imploding. They're collapsing. So you just don't know. Every circumstance is atypical, and that's the, kind of the surprising part. So somebody that's been doing something for 20-plus years in the same plot, improvements, everything else, and uh, then all of a sudden just – he says – I." I might plan it once more. This would be the third time. And then after that, I'm going to give up as far as, you know, the summertime vegetables and things along that line. So, All right. Our first phone call is Barry. He's on the road in Illinois. Hi, Barry. Yes, sir. My question is simple. Osage orange, hedge apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, root system, is that like a fan lower or closer to the surface or is that deep? No, all trees have surface roots for the most part. So, but for, I mean, they all, all the feeder roots on trees, they'll have, a lot of trees will have roots that go deeper, you know, especially ones that grow in wetter soils and things like that. But the Osage orange and the maples and the birches and the oaks and everything else, all the feeder roots are, are within the top 15 or 18 inches. And then there are anchoring roots that go deeper than that. So, yes, it does have surface roots. Well, longevity of the tree? Oh, a long years, time. 100 years. I don't know about 100 years, but I think they're still at the Botanical Garden, but those the ones at the Botanical Garden are really getting pretty darn old. And I was at a house the other day, probably two weeks ago or so, and the neighbors had a – the neighbor of this people's I was at their house had an Osage orange, and probably the diameter of the trunk might have been 36 inches, so that means that thing was getting up there 50, 60, you know, 70 years old. And so they they go on and on and on. And there's several in Tower Grove Park as well. Okay. That was my question. Thank you for your time and trouble, sir. Certainly. My pleasure. And for people that don't know the Osage Orange, the, the tree is really kind of unusual. The bark almost has an orangish cast to it, but it's called Osage Orange because it drops a fruit that looks like an orange. It's, uh, you know, it's a really kind of a crazy fruit. But uh, in reality, it is really, 
It's totally nuts, just to put it, I guess, kindly or nicely. All right, let's head out to Kirkwood and into Steve's yard. Hello, Steve. Hey, how do you keep moss from growing on your um, brick patio that's heavily shaded by trees? Yeah, it's it's very, very difficult. You're just going to have to reapply like a demoss product on a regular basis to get, you know, to keep it from coming back. But you're never really going to eradicate the, you know, the circumstance entirely. And all you're going to do is cosmetically get rid of it for a while, and then it's going to slowly but surely come back again. So there's nothing that's going to be permanent that I know of personally that's going to work in that, you know, in that situation. Some people say, well, you can treat. Is it like brick? Is that what your patio is? Yes. Yes. And so you could treat the brick, but still the spaces in between the brick are not being treated, even though they're a small small gap. That's where the moss, you know, is, and there's not really too much you can really do that's going to get rid of it permanently. Well, what, what do you spray on it regularly? What's yeah, just go to, your, go to your favorite garden center and just tell them you want a product called DMOSS, and that will be what you would use. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Well, let's uh, stay in St. Louis City and talk to Curtis. Hi, Curtis. Good morning, Mr. Miller. First, let me say thank you again for your show. Always something wonderful, including the way you started this morning's show and talking about the transition between seasons. Um, I have two questions. One is about I picked up a cotton plant at a nursery in South St. Louis last year and kept some of the seeds hoping to replant those this year and actually grow some cotton in the yard. Not a whole bunch, just something decorative. Now, I'm wondering, what is your opinion on being able to grow cotton here in St. Louis? Or is there something special I need to do to the soil or a special time I need to plant it? Well, you better get it in the ground soon because cotton is, you know, something that's generally planted in the spring and then it grows through the summertime and then it produces, you know, the, say the fruit slash cotton at, you know, in the fall. So. Okay. The the chance of having luck with it is just going to be a roll of dice. There's no way to find out for sure if you can. I mean, we do grow c- cotton here in Missouri, but it's a little bit further south than what we are. So it's going to be weather dependent. When with this year with the weather, you know, if it's going to be warm, that's great, that's perfect. But if we get a cold sp- or a cooler spell, then that's going to kind of shut it down. Well, anything special you think I should do to my just due to the soil? Any special fertilizer, compost, or anything, or just go ahead and put it in the ground and no, see what happens? I, no, I would actually you know mix some organic materials, some amendments in the soil. I would not necessarily put fertilizer in the soil at all. Just get it so get it in the ground after you've you know added the compost to it or compost topsoil mix. And then as soon as it starts germinating, then think about fertilizing, but don't do it just initially, you know, as you're planting. Okay, and then the real quick question about trees is I have a very tall, I mean, I think this thing is maybe a 50-foot or taller oak tree that I wanted to kind of top off. I'll go rent the things that I need in order to get to the top of it just to start it, uh, taking some of it down because I know a lot of it's dead. I don't want these limbs just continuing to fall on their own. Is there anything special that you can say from your experience or knowledge that I need to be aware of, or is that something really to let the professionals do? A tree that tall, let the professionals do it. I mean, okay. you could really create a nightmare. Because, again, another related to one a place I was at the house, uh, they had a, and this was a tree service. You know, unfortunately, all tree services are not created equal. But they had a long branch that had to be taken down. And so these people, you know, the tree service, 
long branches should be cut back in sections, so in one-third at a time, so you don't tear the bark. These people just tried to cut it off right at the trunk, and it tore the bark all the way. It was probably like 10 or 11 feet high all the way down to the ground, and that makes an open wound that could really create problems for a long period of time. So oh, wow. you know, just so you get a, a lawn or a, an arborist that's licensed that, you know, and maybe even have two of them come out and take a look and then decide which one that you want to have do the work for you. Okay. Well, thanks again, Mr. Miller. I really appreciate it. And I was out at your pl- at the place of uh, St. Louis Composting yesterday. Beautiful people out there. So glad you made me aware of all the services they offer. So just blessings to you and what you do and to them as well. Thanks again for all the advice. Well, thank you very much. All right. Let's head out to Illinois. We're going to Pittsfield and into Warren's yard. Hi, Warren. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for the show. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thanks for the show. I love it. Uh, Japanese beetle uh, information. Last year, an expert ordered shark nursery in Louisiana, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Guy been there for many years. And he said, on or about June the 12th, which is coming up, is when the beetles uh, surface. And they come, start coming out. They turn from drugs into beetles, as you know. Right. And they start, they start coming out of the ground. So I've been spraying my cherry trees uh, this weekend in preparation for the beetle invasion. The June the 12th, on or about June the 12th, and by golly, last year, that was the date. That's amazing. What you could So are you putting any grub control down? Because you can kill yeah, them as yeah. grubs. And yeah, I did, Yes, I did that. Okay. I did that, I did that um, earlier. Um, this is the first year I've used the grubs, but <laughs> my neighbors didn't use the grub control. So right. We may, still, we may still have beetles. You aren't kidding. So, uh, yeah. And so, so I, I mean, you know, any of the insecticides you'd use, they have to come in direct contact with the beetle unless you've got a systemic type insecticide which goes up through the vascular system or the veins of the uh, the, the tree or whatever you're trying to help uh, protect from the Japanese beetle and then out into the foliage. And then as they feed, then they'll kill them that way. But, yeah, they're ferocious, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, June the 12th is the magic day. All right. Well, thanks. There's your tip of the day. <laughs> Greatly appreciate. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your program. Bye-bye. All right. And now, Mike, we're going to head out to Maple Lane in Ellisville. No way. <laughs> we're talking to Robert. <laughs> hey, Robert. Hey, good morning again, Mike. I've talked with you many times. Uh, I've got a peach tree that is now about 10 years old, best estimate. Uh, when I got it, they said it was about five years old, and I've had it in for about five years. I've always knocked the fruit off early in the spring, you know, because because uh, it wasn't a, a mature enough tree from what I understand. Right. So I let the fruit go this year, but I've neglected to trim it properly. Uh, so it's kind of tall and a little, not spindly, it's very healthy, uh, good, good leaf color, and uh, sprayed it early to keep the insects off. Um, to, should I not? Uh, can I do any trimming at this point? No, don't do any pruning. But what you should do is if you have an abundance of fruit, as the fruit gets bigger and bigger, it could cause some stress cracks in the branches. 
So if you've got a lot of fruit on it, this is you, you said was the first year you're kind of letting all the fruit go. Take about uh, probably half the fruit off right now to reduce the possible weight as the fruit matures. Okay, and some of that fruit is on the really small, like newer shoots of branches. I would probably take those off for sure because that's going to be really willowy and not real strong. And then as soon as, like I said, the fruit gets bigger and heavier, then it's going to cause a bend or a crack, and that could really create a, you know, an internal problem within the peach tree. Okay. And then uh, for later on in the fall, uh, best time to kind of lop off the top of it and promote some undergrowth. What do you think? Well, if you do that, you're cutting off you know, the potential for the flowering slash fruiting for the next year. So if you're going to prune, I would wait until next year, and after it's flowered, then go ahead and prune off what you want to have pruned off at that time, as opposed to trying to, you know, because unless you just don't really care if you have one year where you're not going to have as much fruit slash flowering as, you know, as what you anticipated or hoped for. Okay, so right now the the tree's over 10 foot tall, and... um, you go to most, I guess, uh, 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 orchards, and right. they're more spread out, you know, and not so tall. Right. They've been pruning them from very early age to more or less be like upside-down umbrellas. So they want to oh. get as many of the branches going out laterally as they possibly can because that way they can have as much foliage as they possibly can. They can harvest easier. So that's how they do that. They do the pruning again at the correct time. Gotcha. Okay. Well, safely, could I take off a foot, two foot, three foot? Uh, It just depends. You know, I mean, if you're talking about next year after it finishes flowering, I I don't like to ever take off more than 25% at the most of anything. So Okay kind of go by that possibly two foot if it's a 10 foot tree okay thanks very much certainly my pleasure mike miller kmos garden hotline back after these messages we're gonna win they score they score david perron the blues will come home to game six one win away from a stanley cup championship the hardest win in franchise history amazing The Blues, the Bruins, the Stanley Cup Final. Game 6 tomorrow. Club Fitness expanded pregame show at 5. The puck drops at 7. On your voice of the St. Louis Blues, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller. On KMOX. Yes, and we're going to head over to Illinois and go into Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Good morning, Mike, and thanks for your program. I thoroughly enjoy uh, listening to you weekly. Well, great. Well, thank you. My situation is this. I have several blue spruce trees. They're rather tall. They have a large spread to them. However, a number of the boughs have uh, died and I want to know uh, the best way to handle that. I mean, if I cut them off, do I damage the tree, removing the dead boughs, or 
other than unsightly looks of them with the bare spots. Well, basically, you can take them off. It's more of a cosmetic thing. Usually, you know, any of the branches, as long as the tree is overall healthy, they're shutting down that particular branch because of it's not getting enough sun, it's not getting this, it's being shadowed by something else or something along that line. So the tree's doing it itself. As far as getting rid of it, that's a cosmetic type thing, and you really probably want to do it anyway. But uh, if the branches are long, cut them off in sections, and whatever the branch is attached to, be it the main trunk or another branch that happens to be larger, then leave a stub of about a quarter to a half inch. Oh, okay, even at the trunk then. Right, exactly. So it's, uh, you know, if you go into a, any kind of forest, you're going to see most of the trees. I don't know how close these are in proximity as, as far as planting, but you're going to see a lot of trunks, and then you're going to find the needles and everything on if it's a spruce forest or if it's a pine forest or if it's a deciduous forest. All the foliage is higher up where there's more light. I see. Okay. Well, thank you for your your assistance and i appreciate it have a great day yeah you do the same thing and also with you know any of the spruces and pines uh the interior needles drop off as the as the branches get longer why well because there's branches higher up in the tree and it's shadowing the interior part of the branch and then the tree goes well i can't afford to keep you needles here because you're not helping my overall health so then it just drops the needles all right. Now we're heading to Wright City, Missouri, and into Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Good morning. Uh, Mike, a uh, question for you. Uh, after planting the new yard, how long is it after the grass comes up that you can begin to use herbicide for controlling clover and other weeds? Uh, well, it depends upon what chemical you're talking about using as far as the control. But uh, I would. Oh, okay. I would probably say 21 days, you should be okay at that point. But okay. read the label to make sure. That's the mm-hmm. way to, you know, it'll tell you exactly how long to wait before you do the application on a new seeded area. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Certainly. Bye. All right. Let's head to Sunset Hills and talk to George. Hi, George. Hey, Mike. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Just a uh, Quick question. I use uh, Roundup uh, to get rid of uh, weeds and things. Mm-hmm. And uh, number one, uh, like today, is it worth spraying it because it's kind of wet out today? No, because we don't know if it's going to rain again. So, okay. you know, in theory, it's, it, let's say it starts activating, gets, getting sucked into the plants you're trying to kill within an hour or two. But still, I just, you know, okay. I don't want to have... You know, putting any kind of herbicide down and then having rain even within six or seven hours, that would be something I wouldn't want to do. Well, after I put on uh, Roundup, on, how long uh, can I plant in that area that I sprayed? Basically, Roundup, Roundup deactivates when it hits the soil. So it's absorbed into the plants you're trying to kill, but it doesn't have any, let's say, residual effect in the ground that you've been spraying or where the spray lands. Oh, so wow. I'm, I'm not saying do it immediately, but it shouldn't be problematic or something to be okay. concerned with. Very good. I do appreciate it. Thank you very much, yep. Mike. I sure do enjoy your show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. All right. Let's head out to University City and talk to John. Hello, John. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? Very good. 
I have got uh, <clears throat> seven rainbow knockout roses up on along a hedge above my driveway, seven of them. They look beautiful. I put two uh, of them in because I had a couple dead ones a couple years ago. Got them over at Heart, Heart Key. Hope that's okay. Mention that. And uh, one of them, one of the knockout roses is completely dead. All of them popped this year. Nice, good color. And waiting for, but now, but the one I planted a couple, three years ago is completely dead, all brown. The others are looking pretty decent, but there's probably five others that are starting to get thin through the bottom part. And just, they have their foliage up on the top and they just don't look like they're happy. What are these, once this happens, are they all dying or what? Uh, It could be just a decline. That particular variety is not necessarily the toughest variety of the knockout roses and how how severe or how much are you pruning them going into winter time didn't prune them at all yeah. mike at all this year that's probably part of the you know factor on how thick they're looking lower down well, okay why did the one completely die he's completely brown and dead and the others there's some that are kind of thinning i mean it's it, they don't have the same problem that the guy that died do they? Or is it just because I didn't prune? Well, no, pruning doesn't have anything to do with death. This particular one, I don't know how, you said it was three years old or something? Well, they're all the same age. What oh. I did is I bought uh, I bought seven originally from them many, many years ago. Right. And then uh, two of them passed away or whatever, so I went over there, and he happened to have a group along the road where they were widening uh, Olive or Orson. They were widening Orson Road. Right. So they had to pull them anyway, so I bought them from him and two of them that were the same kind of species, I guess, rainbows, and I put them in. But, uh, you know, I thought I planted them all right. He did okay last year, maybe the year before. So I planted them maybe three years ago, and like three years later, the one is completely brown and dead. And then, like I told you, there's like before four of them that don't have all the green foliage through the bottoms of it, just the top part of the plant. Right. I think, you know, it's weather-related as much as anything. It's just been a very difficult you know, year for certain plant materials in certain locations. I've seen some knockout roses that really look spectacular now. It's not the rainbow variety you're speaking of, but you know, knockout roses in general. But to be honest with you, I have three and growing in pots. Two of them really look not so good, and the third one in the pot looks you know, fantastic. So it's just you know, roll the dice. You never know what's going to happen with our crazy weather. These are in the ground, I know. So it could be related to just all the moisture content that the root systems are not getting enough, let's say, air. They're not breathing enough. So roses don't like it too wet? No, definitely not. Well, might be weather-related then. Okay, I'm going to use the uh, uh, Fertilume uh, Azalea Evergreen uh, food. I'm going to put that in with the systemic soon, right? Uh, You're doing that on your azaleas, not on your roses, right? I was going to do it on the roses. No, use rose food. Rose food, okay. Because that's going to have calcium. It's going to have some of the problem, you know, some let's say, micronutrients that help, let's say, minimize the potential problems with the roses. So get one specifically for that. Okay, I, I have a lot of rose food. Is it too wet to put it on these days, or should I wait till next week when it dry, dries out? No, because you're probably going to have to, if it's a granular, you're going to have to water it in anyway, more than likely. Okay, I'll get her in this, I'll get her in this weekend. Then. All right, perfect. Thank you, sir. Certainly. All right, and before break, let's talk to George in O'Fallon, Missouri. Hello, George. Good morning, Mike. Hey, I got a Bradford pear, over 20 years old, 
really tall, good-looking tree, but this year it's getting orange spots on the leaves and getting some drop, but not too much. Is this weather-related? or? Yeah, it is. Are you going downhill? or? No, it's, as long as it's overall healthy and you're not seeing something called fire blight, which means like a 6 or 8 or 10 or 12-inch you know, set in section of the branches, all the leaves turn like dark brown. If it's just, you know, this, it's probably related to fungus if it's just the spotting. Is there anything I should be doing this year or just let it go? And Well, and if you no, know, this year you really can't do anything. For anybody that has fungus problems, regardless of what it's on, and you know there's a history of this fungus, which now you know that there's fungus on, you know, spraying a fungicide before you see the problem is the best way to minimize it. Once you see it and you spray it, what it does is it just makes it so it doesn't, uh, let's say, you arrest the, the development. Well, this tree is over 100 feet tall. It's huge. Whoa. It's wide, and it's the biggest Bradford pear I've ever seen, but there's really nothing we can do. It can spray it or anything like that. Right. Do you think next year we're going to have the same issue? or It could be. I mean, it's just you never know. Every year that's, you know, growing stuff here, It's each, each year is going to be different. Yeah, I understand. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Certainly. And Megan, what's going on? Well, I wanted to give everybody an update on something that's going on on Interstate 44 right now near Arsenal. Um, thanks to the KMOX listener that called in to give us an update, who happened to be my husband. Um, <laughs> eastbound 44, apparently there's a semi-trailer that's flipped on its side. Um, crews are out there working with the police, diverting traffic, but um, there's really only one lane getting through eastbound 44 near Arsenal, so pretty big jam right now. And then, of course, westbound, there's all that construction going on there anyway. So there's some slowdowns there and some lane restrictions there already. So eastbound and westbound 44, eastbound is the critical side because there's the semi flipped on its side. There are only one lane getting through. Nothing more frustrating than that. Does your husband have a helicopter or something? How's he? You guys live in Illinois, don't you? He's driving through there, yeah. Oh, he's driving through there? Is he? Is he? Being profane? Darn it, I did it. No, actually, I think he was excited that he could help other people out this morning. Perfect. He is a nice guy. <laughs> Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for the Cards and Cubs tonight. Emron Total Access 520. First pitch 615. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. And we're head over to Belleville and going to Jan's yard. Hi, Jan. Hi there. Good morning. I have patches of clover in my lawn this year. Is there anything we could spread down to help that? Uh, basically, you're going to have to go after it with, like, you can try a weed be gone if you want to try that first. But if it's a solid patch, what you might do is just go ahead, if you're not opposed to spraying Roundup, and spray Roundup just on that area. And uh, to keep it from drifting onto the grass that's beyond where the clover is, you could lay, uh, you know, a piece of cardboard down or something along that line to to minimize the the problem. But I would be before you spray, I would go ahead and step on it and kind of bruise it, open up some wounds so the herbicide could be absorbed and you know better. Okay, is that something that's going to recur even if I'm able to get get it eradicated? 
Yeah, if you're using a systemic and kills it down to the root system, that will kill all the existing plants. That does not necessarily mean that there is not going to be clover in that spot again. How? Well, these herbicides do not kill pre or do not kill seeds. So the clover may have already dropped a bunch of seeds, so those seeds may or germinate on their own. So it could okay. be a long, involved process. Okay, Doug. Thanks so much. Sure. Sorry. All right, Mike, and I think it's fitting. Our last call of the day is Paul in Redbud. All right. Hi, Paul. Hi. How are you? Very good. My Mine is about my knockout roses. Uh, they, they bloomed this year. They flushed. And now I'm seeing the little rose hips, uh-huh. the little balls on it. Right. Can I cut? Can I cut all those off? You definitely, to... sh- yeah, you definitely should cut them off because that encourages the next flush. That's what my question was. I probably got a thousand of these. Whoa! Things. You got some. <laughs> I, yeah, they're about five feet tall, and I bought two of them two years ago and did what I was supposed to do. It sounds and like I'm, it. Man, they are everywhere. That's perfect. Uh, so just my regular pruners and snip them, or I don't. I'm afraid to use a hedge clipper on them. Yeah, don't use a hedge trimmer. Don't use anything like that. Yeah, just. I mean, I know you got a lot of them, but just uh, go down from where the you know the rose hip is. Go down to where there's five leaflets coming off the stem, and just cut right. them off at that point. Right. Okay. All right. That's all I needed to know. Thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for calling in, and uh, hopefully I'll be back next week. And if you have any other questions, I will tell everybody, with this wet, 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 I mean, you can't say wet enough, any kind of equipment or anything like that, even a mower, especially a riding mower going across your lawn, can compact the soil. And it can create problems from the standpoint, especially if the soil is moist. So if you have a lawn service or you're cutting your grass yourself, just be really cautious and careful because soil compaction can be one of the things that leads to the kind of the decline of the of your lawn just in general. Make sure we're getting to the time of year where hopefully we're going to have some sun coming out and everything else. So raise the mower blade height on, let's say, on zoysia, probably up to about three inches or so, and on bluegrass and fescues to about three and a half inches. Why do you want it? I wouldn't want any higher than that because it could mat down in the rain and create fungus problems. But uh, you want it that high right now just because if it does come out, the sun and everything else, the actual grass blades will help, let's say, shade the crown of the grass plant. So, And that's going to be for the overall health of it. So, I gr- again, appreciate everybody calling in. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, go blues! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.